In any life, we have highs and lows, light and dark, wins and losses. What happens when we encounter that moment in time when what happens next could change everything? Join us as we step into another person's inspirational moment and see how we can connect their experience to ours. This is Greg Stevens, and you're listening to A Shot of Inspiration. Well, everyone, we've got a great guest with us today. Uh, This is Jeff Hunter, and Jeff is a physician. I'm going to let him uh, tell you about his practice, what he does. But his story isn't about being a doctor. It's a story about his son and uh, something that happened years ago. And I'll let him go into the story. But Jeff was my uh, my college roommate for a year. And Jeff was... um, Uh, I hadn't talked to him after college for probably 15, 20 years. And I saw him one time in that, uh, during that time, saw him, talked to him a little, didn't talk to him much. And then about 10 years later, we, uh, we got together for a big weekend and I went and saw him at his practice and we took a drive from Tyler down to Longview. And I asked him, I said, Jeff, I said, I heard a long time ago that, uh, you almost lost a, a child and I never asked anyone about the details about it. I said, would you like to share those with me? And when Jeff shared it with me, we were both crying. I mean, it, get your Kleenex out because uh, I can yeah, promise you. It was you, not a very safe drive. <laughs> we couldn't see very good. It wasn't, but uh, I felt like it was one of those stories that was so, it was miraculous. And it just inspired me so much. It's something that I wanted to be able to share with my audience and just everyone I meet because it was such an amazing story. And I was so happy when I started this, I thought this is an avenue where I can get Jeff's story out. So Jeff, I'd like you, this is Jeff Hunter, everyone. And Jeff, I'd like you to kind of share who you are, uh, what you do in the world, and then how, uh, go back to your story. But I want people to know who you are. Well, who I am, first of all, I'm, I, I'm a child of God. And so that's my first identity is that nothing that, um, you know, my parents gave me the name Jeff Hunter, and that's my name. But uh, but I've been uh, a believer in the loving, forgiving grace of Jesus since I was a eight year old child, and since then my identity has always been in Him. And although I've maybe fallen away from that identity a couple times and tried to pursue a worldly thing uh, lately, um, I've I've come back to understand the true meaning of that. So that that's the first disclaimer. But what I do professionally or uh, to help make a living is that I am a pediatric ophthalmologist. And I also do what's called adult strabismus, which just means I fix adults with double vision or crossed eyes. But uh, my job as a pediatric ophthalmologist is really what I consider my true calling because I I just love kids and uh, just the aspects of ophthalmology. It's technical, it's uh, precise, and it's uh, life-changing just to be able to uh, either save a kid's vision or, or give them back vision uh, is a very gratifying part of my job. That's amazing. And, uh, and then the other part of my job with kids is I get to watch them grow up. And so I, I see these kids sometimes the, from the day they're born. And now I'm starting to see kid, uh, the kids of kids. So I have grandpatients now. And so that's been a pretty sweet thing over the last nearly 30 years of doing this. So. And I practice in East Texas, and my home base is in Tyler, Texas. I do go to Longview sometimes. Uh, and my partner in all this is Kelly. And Kelly and I have been um, a thing 
since 1982. High school sweethearts, folks, uh, that that may have still have one of the best uh, marriages. You guys should run a marriage seminar because uh, it's genuine, authentic, and real. It's, it always has been. Yeah, I mean, literally every day still after 36 and a half years of marriage, I look at myself in the mirror and say, how did I ever get her to say yes to me to go on a date? And then second, how did I dupe her into marrying me? So um, I, I've just married, a, I, I told people I married the prom queen and she really is the prom queen. But when you meet her, you'd understand exactly what I mean, that she's just the total package of kindness and beauty and grace and uh, uh, my kids love her. I mean, she's the perfect yeah, mom. She, she really is an amazing person. I, I can I can vouch for that as well. So, Jeff, take us back to uh, what year was it? Kind of uh, paint the picture, uh, what you were doing that day, and uh, walk people through uh, kind of how you did me step by step, because I want them to understand and feel what a miraculous uh, event occurred in that day. Yeah, of course, as most things that happen unexpectedly, they're unexpected. <laughs> so it goes back to 1997. Uh, matter of fact, Kelly and I had moved to Tyler in 1996 and we lived in a little rent house and then we ended up finding some property and it needed lots of renovation. So we bought it and closed on it at the early part of 1997, moved in. And so this was in September of 97, actually it's September 9th, 1997. It's kind of a cool date. It's 9797. And uh, we were, uh, it's a Sunday evening and we're working in the yard trying to get some of the yard work done the the people that owned the house before us their hedges were tomato plants and so we were in the process of pulling out tomato plants in the front garden and, and this house is really long and it's out on some acreage and in my front yard uh probably 150 yards from my house uh the corner of my house i have a two acre pond and it goes down a hill and into the pond and uh, Kelly and I were uh, out front working and, and also in the back of this house is a barn and the guy that we bought the house from gave us his two old horses. They're probably 28 or 30 years old. And so, but part of this, these horses kind of routine is that every day around five o'clock, they just knew to walk up to the barn and that they would be fed. So my uh, uh, wife and my son, Will at the time was uh, 16 months old. And we were, the three of us were working outside and my two older son, my two older children, uh, Cody and his sister Emma were upstairs with a friend. A friend had um, come over to visit that day. And, uh, and the reason he came to visit was because his parents uh, had to go to a funeral uh, of their best friend's child who had just drowned the day before. But the, the family was uh, drawn out of town, but they needed something to do with their son, and so we, uh, his name was Mark, and we uh, gladly uh, said, we'll take care of Mark while y'all are gone. And so Mark was at our house this morning. So all, all these little things are just tied into my story. So anyways, we uh, are out working out in front of the kids are upstairs, I guess, watching videos or playing, and, uh, and little, uh, little wheels right in between us. And then uh, I look out the, through the garage window that I can see in the back by the barn, and I see that one of the horses is up at the barn. And so I go back to the back of the barn and walk around the corner and I look back and Will is still between Kelly and I and he's playing in the dirt and he's probably 15, 20 feet to my right and he's probably 20 or 30 feet to Kelly's left. 
And so uh, I walk back to the barn and once I get back there, I get distracted. I have to open up grain to feed and feed the horses and I pet them for a while. And then so about 10, 10 or 12 minutes later, I come back to the front and I, when I walk around the corner, Kelly says, where's Will? And I said, I thought he was with you. And then she said, well, when you went around the corner, he went around the corner with you. And so immediately my first thought was go to the pond. So we had these two geese that were at the pond that he was fascinated with. And they weren't very nice geese, but he would always want to touch them. And so my first thought was, you know, where are the geese and go to look at the pond. And uh, I ran to the edge of this hill. And when you run to the edge of this hill, you can see out all the way across the entire pond, uh, pretty much every shoreline you can see. And it was a very warm day. It was probably in the low 90s that day. And, and the water was perfectly smooth. I mean, there wasn't a rope. I scanned the, the lake and didn't see anything. Then I yelled back to Kelly, he's not here. Um, go look inside. So we uh, we went on a mad dash around, going in every room and going around back to the barn. Uh, so I probably spent uh, three or four minutes just in a dash in the backyard uh, looking for him. We just couldn't find him anywhere. And uh, and also at the time, we uh, part of the important part of the story is we had these two Labrador puppies. They're probably six months old. And the first time I went down to the pond, these two Labrador puppies were just over on the side of the pond uh, hanging out like they normally did. It wasn't anything unusual, but they weren't in the water and they were just playing with each other. And so anyways, when I'm back to the, the barn, the uh, five minutes after the initial distress call, I said, go look back at the uh, voice inside me said, go back to the pond. So I went back to the pond. And as I got to the edge of the hill where I could see, all of a sudden those two black lab puppies were out in the water, probably eight or 10 feet out from shore. And I was watching them looking for something and they were swimming in a circle. Uh, and, and I was like, that's weird. So I start kind of jogging down by the ponds about probably 50 or 60 yards down to the edge of the shore. So as I get closer and closer to see why they're out in the water, kind of swimming in that pattern, then I saw Will's silhouette underwater and uh, kind of a dead man's float. And uh, I immediately went into Jeff Hunter doctor mode. So first thing I did was I, I yelled for Kelly to call 911. I said, he's in the pond. And I looked at my watch, it was 5.03 PM. And the, re the reaction was just, whenever a doctor is called into emergency, you, you check the clock because you want to know when the, the process of resuscitation starts. So, so I jumped upon the second thing I noted besides the time was the second my foot hit the water, the water is really warm. And as a physician, warm water and drownings are kind of a bad combination because warm water has lots of bacteria and uh, doesn't have the same effect as cold water does physiologically on your body. So I uh, kind of noted that mentally and then I just kind of grab him and he's in his little blue onesie that we had on him that day and I just put out and he was he was super blue and wasn't breathing. So I, I ran up on shore and I ran up to a part of the shore that was kind of flat. It was pretty steep there, but I, had, I just carried him under my arm like a football over toward uh, the driveway, which is probably uh, 20 yards back to my north and uh, put him on the edge of the uh, ground. And then I'm yelling at um, Kelly to, to uh, get an emergency vehicle here. And I'm looking at him and he's super blue and not breathing. And I'm trying to 
figure out uh, what's, you know, what, what do I need to do? And so that's once again, when doctor mode kicks in. So all those years of training to be a physician, although as an ophthalmologist, all those previous years of training paid off in that so, minute. So Jeff, real quick, you, you knew exactly, you knew what to do professionally. What was going on inside? Did, was there, a, was there just work the problem or was there this, I think most people would have this paralyzing fear just rush through them. What happened for you? Yeah, there, there wasn't any uh, mental block or paralysis. I just knew uh, I needed help uh, or he needed help and I, I could do the basics. But um, but the other was um, it would CPRs easier done with two people. So and Kelly was on the phone with the nine one one, but she couldn't get more than a few feet from the house because it was a radio. Back then, the, we didn't have the broadband width and cell phone, so she had to stay within about thirty feet of the house. And so we're we're basically yelling up the hill at each other, and and uh, they're telling me what to do. And I told him, told him don't, don't do. I said send Cody down. So at that time, Cody, who was eight at the time, came out, and my son Cody uh, ran down the hill to join me. And I said, and I showed him real quick. I said. You have to push on the chest here with your hands, push down about an inch or two, and I'll do the breathing for him. And Cody didn't even ask any questions. He he just is very compliant kid and just did really well. Uh, and we did CPR for probably uh, one to two minutes, I would think. And then at that time, he started uh, coughing a little bit. And so that made me feel really good that he had a neurologic response to cough. And uh, so when she started coughing and what we call agonal breathing. Agonal breathing is when you're kind of taking sporadic breaths, but nothing with intention. And so he started having a little bit of agonal breathing and his color was a little better. And so what I did is I just scooped him up and uh, took him up the hill uh, to uh, the inside of the foyer where it was uh, closer to the cell phone service. And I you know, put the phone up to my ear and kind of gave doctor talk to the because I knew the 911 people were recording everything. So I, and I knew that people would be, uh, emergency personnel would be listening. So I told them, you know, how long it'd been down, what I did. So I just kind of what I call doctor talk and uh, did that. And um, they said, well, uh, someone, they said the ambulance is on the way. And I said, okay, but we live out in the country. We're about eight miles from probably the closest uh, fire station or whatever. And my, um, I could hear a siren in the background and I said, I hear a siren. And they said, Oh, that's the, uh, trooper, the state trooper. So, um, and my, my house is about 175 yards from our front gate and the gate was open. And so as I'm uh, sitting there and I, and I'd stopped doing CPR cause he was breathing, I could feel a pulse, but he just needed, you know, oxygen and, and we just needed to get him assessed. So, um, still didn't know how much damage or anything was going on with his brain. And, uh, I figured he'd been underwater between uh, seven and 10 minutes. Uh, and so we, um, postulated that, uh, you know, he, he could have some damage to his brain. And so as the state trooper comes up the road and pulls into my driveway and I scoop well up and I get in the front seat with him, I said, let's go. And he goes, well, the ambulance will be here soon. I said, no, we got to go. Because to me, soon it could have been a minute or it could have been five minutes or 10 minutes. And so I said, no, let's go. So we drove down the driveway and as we got to the top of my driveway, I live on a highway. And so as I looked to the north 
to the highway. I could see the ambulance probably a half mile away coming. So I said, okay, stop here. We'll get out and wait for the ambulance because they have equipment that we need. And this is hard. Is hard. I didn't even bring a tissue and I, I knew this was going to happen. How unprepared of me. Anyways, as I, the ambulance pulled in, they put him in the ambulance and hooked him up to pulse oximeter. I think his pulse oximeter was like 82, which is, which is low, but it's still reasonable. And uh, he was in his blue, but he was still breathing kind of agonizing. I said, well, let's, uh, let's go. And they said, well, the helicopter's on the way. And that's when the emergency community, you could really see how they worked as a team because all of a sudden, about six volunteer firemen got there about the same time and the helicopter, they stopped the traffic on the highway and the helicopter lands right on the highway and they just scoop them up and take them away. And uh, so it was just an amazing uh, thing to see. And I was like, I, got, yeah, I said, I want to go with them. And they said, you can't go in the helicopter. So uh, I sent Kelly in a car and uh, they, they took them away. And so I, you know, I didn't have contact with them for quite a while longer. But you know, we, we did have cell phones back then, but Kelly and I uh, got on the cell phone and uh, I had to stay behind the, the state trooper and the uh, authorities had to, had to know the story just to make sure it wasn't some kind of um, foul play. But, uh, but anyways, after they realized it was a, a true event and uh, they, they let me go, then uh, I ended up going to the hospital. And, and when I got into the emergency room, I heard him wailing because they were trying to stick him for an IV. And when he was wailing and his pulse ox, I looked at the screen, it was in the upper 90s. I knew that he was going to be okay. So uh, so fast forwarding, you know, months or years later, he uh, has no neurologic deficit and he didn't even get pneumonia. The, they did x-rays of his chest and they think when he fell in the water, he ended up being the kind of kid that instead of panicking, he just held his breath. And when he held his breath, he just eventually passed out. And so he didn't really get any uh, dirty water in his lungs and uh, within 36 hours, we were out of the hospital and, um, and he did you, well. So. And you also told me in the middle of that, I think uh, your church uh, fell in and they just put a message out for everyone to tell us about that. What? Yeah, that, yeah, that's another part of the story that we, we never saw. It just it was happening. It was God's working outside what we were doing. So, you know, we were focused in the moment. And, uh, and also that, that same evening, my parents had left about three o'clock that afternoon to go back to Dallas. They live in the Dallas area and my, um, uh, sorry, on the way to the hospital, we called them and they just turned around and came back and went to the hospital. What was going on at church was, you know, on Sunday evenings, they have a church service about, uh, you know, five or five thirty, and we couldn't make it that night because we knew that we'd be working. And so anyways, they tape all these recordings, but my wife was on the phone as she's on the way to the hospital trying to call all of our friends that we had become close with because all of our friends at that time, because we've only been in town for uh, uh, less than a year, were church friends and nobody would pick up their phone because everybody's in church. And so uh, so what happened was uh, she finally got a hold of one friend named Johnette, who's still one of our dear friends. And Johnette said, well, our, uh, my husband, Clay, who's an attorney, was preparing for a case and his law office is right across the street from the church. So he's, she goes, let me call Clay. So she called Clay and Clay went across the street 
And but one of the coolest things about this is they, they video the tape service, the church services on video. And so we can go back and watch this later. So Clay, just a minute or two after Johnette calls him, just walks into the side door of the church and you see him walk up on the side of the stage and whispers in the associate pastor's ear as uh, uh, you know, they're doing a song or something. And then all of a sudden the associate pastor gets up and stands to the mic and says, um, the hunters are having an emergency. Their son uh, is uh, was a near drown, and they need your prayers. And so they prayed right there, stopped the service. And then after the amen was over, about half the church left, and they came up to the to the hospital to see us. So you had amazing support. That's and, yeah, a great and, and, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It still gets me. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much. Well, sure. Uh, I, I, I tell that story that's one of the, 100 times and still, <laughs> still gets me. Yeah. I, uh, and that's why I wanted people to hear it because if anyone knows anything about not being able to breathe and getting water in your lungs and uh, being under warm water for that long, uh, it's just a miracle that he really came out of it. And uh, what, what he's, he's a musician now, right? Yeah. Oh, and I was also going to add those two dogs that – kind of gave me the clue that he was in the water. Uh, within six months, they were, they were both dead. They were, um, they, 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 they were such a short time with us uh, on life, but they had such an important role because, you know, if I hadn't seen them swimming out in the pond, I might not have looked because he was wearing a dark suit and the water's dark. And it was just, I, we might not have found him for a long time. So uh, anyways, that those, those dogs had a divine purpose. Absolutely. As well. So. And but yeah, but, but Will is a musician and he's uh, up here in Nashville. He's trying to get his career started. He's uh, 26 now and he uh, just got engaged uh, a few weeks ago and he's going to be married soon. But uh, he's a great songwriter and he's my most tenderhearted kid. And So uh, what's is he with a band or is he on his own right now? What is he doing? Uh, yeah, he has a band. He's the front man for a band called Pacific. Uh, they um, do alternative rock, and they're, they're, I mean they're doing okay. They're, they're what I what I call revenue producing right now, but <laughs> they uh, they do some great songs, and uh, we're hoping that over time, just his um, commitment to the industry and his talents will lead to something big for him but he he has lots of jobs but his real job is being uh the lead singer and the writer uh of most of the songs for pacific yeah and i just think how everything could have gone a different way that day and i remember you saying uh when we met together said every time i hear his songs it's like that is out there in the world that wouldn't have been there at that if it hadn't been for uh him coming out of that so gracefully yeah, there, there's so many things uh, that this parallels in life that um, and uh, just this week with the Supreme Court supposedly wanting to reverse Roe v. Wade. My wife and I were talking about uh, that situation and, and it always has been in the back of my mind that all the kids that were not, not ever born to live what the world's missing out on their talents and their uh their love and all the stuff that we'll never know what contribution those kids could have made if they were just here to make the contribution so uh, there's a lot of con there's a lot of parallels in that story to um what we experience in will's life that the music and the uh, just the joy that he brings people because he he's he's so loving and, and so kind and uh he's 
he's uh, he's one of my four favorite children. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us today, and I uh, hope uh, everyone out there got. Uh, uh, was touched like I was. It was. It's an amazing thing when we can actually experience something like that in our lives, or someone in our lives having uh, a victorious moment, a breakthrough, a miracle, whatever you feel like calling it. It's something that inspires me. That uh, there's something else out there that helps us along the way. So Jeff, thank you so much. I appreciate it and love you, brother. You too. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Shot of Inspiration. If you like this or any of our other episodes, make sure you rate it and share it with a friend. This is Greg Stevens, and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, be bold, be courageous, and respectfully speak your truth.